There is some magic that is attached to our technology and there is some magic that is attached to the people that we have in the company and we're really blessed with blending this too and through the interaction of technology and people wanting to do the best for the clients that they serve, this is coming out um, really in a magical way. Currently we have about 1,000 attended bots and about 100 unattended bots. And we managed to save 600,000 hours um, saved through automation, which, which is really fantastic. I always start my one-on-ones with, how is everything? Are you okay? Is there anything I can help you with? And people learn to be open with me. So there's this openness element about who we are beyond work because that impacts our life. This is CRNA TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Andrea Bachu, who is the Chief Culture Officer uh, at UiPath. A very warm welcome, Andrea. Thank you, Hendrik. Happy to be with you. Andrea, you have a Master in Psychology and Human Resources from the Tito Maiorescu University in Bucharest. And you worked for many years at Avon in different positions, uh, such as HR Director, uh, Change Management, uh, Service Model Transformation, and in other companies as well in Global Learning and Development and you joined UiPath in the summer of 2019. So, Andrea, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Who are you really, what is your background, and how did you arrive in this position? I'm a lifelong learner to mm -hmm. start with. I'm a mother and a wife, mm -hmm. responsibilities that I hold dear to my heart every single day, regardless of the jobs I was in. Mm -hmm. And I'm somebody who believes in uh, people's potential and throughout those roles that I had, even in consulting and now at UiPath, I really, really work with that potential in people that can help them mm -hmm. become a better version of themselves. Okay, and you're the chief culture officer. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But you work here at UiPath. We're in, the, in Bucharest in the headquarters here, the European headquarters of UiPath, where the story started, I can imagine. So tell us a little bit more about UiPath. What is this company all about and what is it that makes UiPath special? So we are um, a software development company mm -hmm. and we enable companies to become fully automated and their enterprise to really be productive and efficient and run as best as they could possibly do through yep. the automations that we help them implement. Okay. Um, there is some magic that is attached to our technology and there is some magic that is attached to the people that we have in the company. And we're really blessed with blending this too and through the interaction of technology and people wanting to do the best for the clients that they serve, this is coming out um, really in a magical way. Okay, you use the word magic. That's right. What do you mean with magic? Indeed, so there is some magic that is related to the technology. And it's true, when you see the bots working for you, there is an element of magic in there. But it's also the magic of the people or people being magical at UiPath. So I honestly, I, I very rarely, if not never, experience this, this, this vibe of magic the way I do when I work with people from this company. Mm -hmm. So magic in my book, the way I've experienced it with them in the last couple of years stands for M-A-G-I-C, right? Mm -hmm. So M for me is that meaning. Mm -hmm. It's meaning in the work that they do. Yes, there is a job description and yes, we hire them for something and then yes, there is a salary attached to the job, but most of the people here, they really find meaning in the work that they do and, and it's meaningful and purposeful, which yep. is amazing. And then it's A, which stands for autonomy. So there is that element of the culture, which I truly hope we will keep for, for forever, is people feeling autonomous to drive the workload and their deliverables in the way they see it best. Mm -hmm. So that autonomy in the way that they work. Yeah. And there is growth. There is a significant growth in mm -hmm. the way they operate from project to project, from month to month, from year to year. So they come in with a set of skills and abilities and then time goes by and then when you look back, you can tell for certain that you grew and yep. that the, the, the company offered the context and the job that you had helped you grow professionally. 
And then it's I for innovation, mm -hmm. because innovation is something that we produce not only through the technology, but with brilliant minds coming together. And, and our people do have brilliant minds. And when they come together, innovation happens almost mm -hmm. by default. And then it's C that stands for collaboration. Mm -hmm. So the way we operate, we work with one another, there are very small, small percentages of, of outcomes or deliverables that comes from only one team. There's a lot of collaboration that happens between two or three or many departments that are coming together to serve the customer or do better to whatever internal client. Yeah. So this magic for me in, in, in meaning, autonomy and growth and yeah. innovation and collaboration is, is special. And, and these are the people of UiPath. Andrea, in this interview, I would like to focus on the topic of the great resignation. Yes. Uh, so we have lived through a serious pandemic over the last couple of years. And so what we see is that there are in many, many countries a record number of people that are leaving corporate jobs. True. Uh, and so catering for the well-being of people, creating a culture of collaboration, uh, even when we work remotely, uh, like we do these days, and making sure that jobs are meaningful, that are all top priorities for leadership uh, today. So let's talk about that. So how, what, what's your view on this? And let's maybe start from the culture part of you. So you're the chief culture officer. Tell us a little bit what your job is about and, and, and what is the, the impact that you can have on a company like UiPath. Yeah. So there is a rhythm and a cadence attached to the work that I do and my team does. Mm -hmm. There is the rhythm and the cadence of the business. Mm -hmm. So you have the annual planning exercise, you have the performance management process, you have the talent management review. Mm -hmm. And these are cycled in terms of the year long, and there are events or programs or inputs or contribution that we do together with the business rhythm. Yep. And there is a part of our job that focuses on listening to our people, mm -hmm. and the way we listen to them is really through different um, instruments, an entire ecosystem that we put in place to make sure that not only they have a voice and they express that voice in a specific manner, but also we listen to it, we take, we take action. Yeah. So within this listening strategy, we have, like many companies out there, the annual engagement survey, mm -hmm. which is just happening to be this time of the year. But then we have um, different forums and different sessions by which we gather what are people happy with and what are people not happy with so that we make informed decisions about the actions and the programs we put in place. Yeah. Now, the culture itself is really everybody's job, and we were really blessed with um, some co-founders and some early people that put this company into place. And mm -hmm. since then, there is this heritage of a very strong culture of being humble about the things that we do, really operating super fast, especially in supporting the client's needs, really making bold decisions and taking really high risks for people to challenge the status quo and become better with, with every day. Yep. So really my role is to nurture what that culture was as well as help the organization evolve into what the company needs. I would say we are in a transition. Since IPO last year in April, there are some things that we have to absolutely nurture. Mm -hmm. And there are some things in which we have to evolve mm -hmm. as becoming a company that wants to be here for 10, 20, 50, 100 years from now, like yeah. Daniel likes to say, the generational company, to really match that hyper growth and the demand from the market and our customers. We have to learn some other things that were not part of the nature. So it's an evolution, and yep. we are trying to make it as such, not a revolution. So fast-growing company, and yes. you're here for three years now, so you have seen an, an immense change. Can you give some examples of the things that you have seen change already and, and that you're still working on? Yeah, three years as an employee, but my history with the company started a year before that because okay. the company was, was very small, about 350 people. Mm -hmm. And the way I interacted with the company first was through my consulting practice. And I was the coach and facilitator for the first leadership program that happened back then. So mm -hmm. I got to know people leaders that were really passionate about creating an environment for their people to contribute in a meaningful way. And yeah. I was just, it was love at first sight. I, I was absolutely in love with the mission that UiPath had, mm -hmm. think about it, a Romanian-born company that really wanted to change the world and make it on Wall Street. 
by then nobody would have seen anything like that. So yeah. it was also an internal emotional loyalty pride for me being a Romanian and being part of this yeah. of this um, evolution. Since then, we, um, we've learned the hard way. It was a lot of sweat, blood, and tears for many people that contributed to making the company public. And then sustaining that moment. Yep. Because reaching to number one in the Gardner chart is one thing, but maintaining that year over year over year, is, it's a whole different dimension. Yep. And the growth came with some pain. Yep. Um, some pain in recruiting aggressively, uh, we are now close to 4,000 people, and it happened over the pandemic period. I remember sometime last year in um, August, we uh, ran some numbers. So one in two people were hired during the pandemic. Wow. And a very specific um, difference, I would say, the difference that makes the difference, or one of them in the company, is that relationship that you build with people over time through hardship. Mm -hmm. And that happened, but through the pandemic, it happened less because yep. we could not see each other. We could not work with one another. We could not celebrate the achievements. We could not talk about the failures um, other than on Zoom. Yep. So one of the things that challenged us was to keep the culture going with the spirit of togetherness mm -hmm. in an environment where we could not meet each other. So that, that was something that even now, we are um, trying to recover from it. Yep. Um, but here's the thing, in the pandemic, priorities of people changed. Mm -hmm. And if before that, we wouldn't even think to work remotely yep. for days and weeks and months in a row, now this had become the norm. So we have one in four people that choose to come to the office now versus everybody or most of the people before. Yep. And it's um, not easy, I have to be honest. And mm -hmm. we respect that. We are yep. not mandating people to come to the office, which is fantastic. It gives them freedom and flexibility to work from where they can. Yep. But we have less opportunities to nurture that culture of belonging yep. and togetherness. So how do you, so you have less opportunities? So the the few opportunities that are there are becoming more and more important. Can you maybe give some examples of the things that you do to have your remote workforce still um, create a connection with the, with the company, even if they were recruited remotely? True. So the latest example I have is the company-wide hackathon, mm -hmm. which is um, a space we create for our people to innovate, mm -hmm. to use our technology and bring efficiency or innovation or productivity in different areas of the business. Yep. So we were super happy to see that we had about 200 people that jump on it. We had different ca categories to innovate, mm -hmm. automation for good, productivity, customer adoption, and culture, obviously, and through that, they were able to come together in a, in a structured forum, contribute with their point of view, use our technology and learn more about it, yeah. and then bring something to, to the business. And there were people that would not know each other before this space, mm -hmm. and coming together with this common goal, this brought them together a little bit more and increased collab collaboration. Okay. But that was also on Zoom, so it was remote. Yeah. We have some other um, ways of gathering people together. Like, for example, we had Podium, which is our annual event for recognizing our best salespeople. Mm -hmm. And we brought them together for yeah. a week long. And it was all about red carpet, fireworks, applauses, and being thankful for their contribution throughout the year. So we do a little bit of both. Yeah. And so you said you listen a lot. An important part of your job is to listen to the 4,000 people that work here at UiPath. What is it that they're saying to you? What is it that is on top of their mind nowadays? So there, are, uh, there is a mix of people talking from where they are at, meaning... Our demographics is um, really differentiated in people that were with the company since the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Our more tenured colleagues that are with us for at least four years, if not more, mm -hmm. are a little bit nostalgic about the old days yep. because um, there was a startup-ish um, DNA yep. in the company and the way we would collaborate, make decisions, being super crazy fast, um, very little need of approval, yep. entrepreneurial, bottom-up, um, not so many business cases or requirements to 
pitch your idea and then have the money to implement. Yep. Everything was done with meaning in the work we do and really with the intent to help the customer using our technology. Yep. So our tenure colleagues are finding harder to mm. find their space here. Yep. And here, I mean, a company who is absolutely super strong and healthy, but has some elements of more disciplined. Mm -hmm. You more, need more procedures and, 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 I mean, more layers and, and so on. That's exactly yep. right. So the, the challenge in listening to them is how to feed that passion for the company, yep. which is there, is yep. there, and in the same time, help people see the opportunity in the current setup, mm -hmm. knowing that transformation and change is our middle name. We yep. are not the same company we were last year and we are not the same company we will be a year from now. Yep. There are also really good um, insights I hear from listening to them, either in one-on-one -on -one basis or group setups or through the poll surveys that mm -hmm. we run. And there is an element of um, gratefulness for what we have. Mm -hmm. And they mostly call out um, us taking care of them through different well-being uh, pro programs. Our managers and people managers receive a lot of um, praise for the way they lead their teams, mm -hmm. which is absolutely fantastic. In this year annual engagement um, survey, our line manager index increased. So that means that at large, our people appreciate the people managers that they work with, mm -hmm. which is phenomenal. They also appreciate the overall environment of uh, the spirit of helping one another, especially new hires who are blown away by the fact that not having the answer to their question it's not uh, uh, a moment of panic. On the contrary, they slack somebody yep. and they either get the message or they are sent to somebody that knows the answer and they figure it out away. And yep. they are blown away by the spirit of helping each other out regardless where I am in the country and what my job is, which yep. is phenomenal. Um, and the other thing is that I, that I hear more and more is this element of, of burnout mm -hmm which was more um, predominant last year, now is less of. And if you think about it, we are, we are a company that have this unlimited PTO policy, right? So if you would work with us, you would take how many number of days wow, off? Wow, that's quite interesting. Yeah, if you want to change the job, let me know. We can arrange <laughs> something. So with this unlimited PTO policy, you think that people would organize their life in a way that when there is a lot of work, they deliver that, but after that, they take a pause or take a break or take yep. holiday and then come back. No, it's like they are working and working and working and working. And there is such a huge commitment of them wanting to do right that they don't take care of themselves as much as they, yep. as they could and as they should. So there are some issues that we have to find a better way to solve because we, we do care for them and they care for yep. the company. I think I recognize that. that if, I mean, remote working and online working and no more travel to work or travel international means that we are working so much more, I think. No, I mean, we're doing longer hours and, and, and create more results than, than even before. And, and so I think that has an inf influence on people. And, and so taking time off, taking private enough time and uh, it's, it's super important, no? It really is. It really is. Especially in a global company. So one fourth of us are in Romania, where the company mm -hmm. is born. Another fourth of us are um, in the United States, in many states over yep. there. Another fourth of us are equally split between India and Japan. Okay. And then another fourth of us are in 40 different countries. You pick one on the globe and probably we are there with a small but mighty sales team. Yep. So imagine the time zone. It's a challenge because being a global company, most of our teams are truly global in nature. Yep. And to be able to speak with somebody that is on a very different time zone than you, it requires you a little bit more flexibility around waking up very early or going to bed very uh, late. So you can work day and night if you want. You could, but it's not sustainable. Uh, it really is not sustainable. So how much... Of the culture here, in, and of course, I know the culture is changing and becoming more of a corporate uh, and with the good and the bad of, of that probably. But how much of the culture is inside UiPath 
is coming down is, is coming top down because uh, Daniel and uh, Dines, he's a very special person. I mean, we interviewed him, and and so he he uh, has implemented a certain culture. And so, how much of that culture is would you say is typically Romanian? Is is there a Romanian part or culture part of the culture in the company? That's a great question. Um, I did not thought of that, but I can share with you the feedback we get from others. Uh -huh. So I remember before COVID, we used to have this onboarding one week lock program in Romania. Mm -hmm. And people that managed to attend that, they are even now, two, three years later, remember that and mm -hmm. think that that was one of the best immersive experience okay. in them understanding what the culture is. Yeah. Now, there is a metamorphosis. I mean, maybe it was influenced by then, mm -hmm. but with every year that went by, with every country that we embarked on, with every other leader that came in with his or her own practices yep. of leading others, it changed. It really changed. And I don't know how much of a Romanian culture it is, but it's a true UiPath culture. I yep. mean, you can call it out and you can see it and it's visible, it's palpable. Our new hires are telling us about it. Some of the older um, generation, they see some of it, but not completely. Um, there, is a, there is a transformation, yep. you can tell. And I honestly believe um, is as it should be. Yep. I mean, if you stay the same, how do you produce growth? Because yep. in order for the growth to happen, something yep. has to change. Now, we are trying our best to fight gravity and make sure that we are not becoming that corporate in mm -hmm. a sense of, the not so good things that are happening yep. in the corporation. And we are doing our very best to um, make sure that what we have now is the blend of what we need, yep. you know, cherishing the legacy that we have, but also evolving into what we need to become. Yep. Now, bringing a company in such a short time from a local software development company into a global unicorn is very exceptional. It's even more exceptional than it is from Europe or even more exceptional from, from, from Romania, from Bucharest. So it's, it's, it's a brilliant story. Is there an impact of that success also here locally on, on, on the business in Bucharest? Big one, really big one. As soon as we went public, mm -hmm. it was like almost overnight when we've seen the courage of the many entrepreneurs from Romania and Eastern Europe in general, mm -hmm. having the courage to at least dream of something as big as what UiPath was and what UiPath will become. Yeah. We gave them the opportunity to dare to dream big. And there are there is an increased ecosystem of startup companies, brilliant people mm -hmm. that are now thinking through how to make it, not necessarily in a public arena, yeah. but at least how to make it big. So there is an inspiration that happened and we yeah. are really not taking this too light. We are very humbled by whatever is happening out there in the external market. And there is a little credit that we can make, but I think the actual credit is people that made it possible. And through that, we see Romania um, more and more on the map of where the talent is, which is really great to, to okay. see. Let's talk a bit more about software robots, about RPA, about artificial intelligence, all the good stuff that comes out of, uh, of UiPath. And, Let's zoom in maybe a little bit on how do you use, how do you eat your own dog food? How do you drink your own champagne? Tell us about the automation and the cultural aspects of that here inside the company. So we have a small but mighty team mm -hmm. of um, COE, Central of Excellence, for our internal automations. Mm -hmm. Their inception was in 2019, so about three years ago. Um, only 26 people, but really brilliant and passionate about technology. And they've managed to automate already close to 400 processes mm -hmm. in many, many areas of the business, in um, sales and sales operation, finance and accounting, uh, people operations, deal hub marketing. So mostly in the areas where there's a lot of transactions that can be easily automated. Yep. And they managed to um, rethink the way people work in those departments and really introducing automations in, in those 400 processes. Currently, we have about 1,000 attended bots oh. and about 100 unattended bots. Mm -hmm. And we managed to save, if then my numbers are right, 600,000 hours 
um, saved through automation, yep. which, which is really fantastic. Okay. So we, we do have that element of being strategically intentional about doing our own automations internally. Um, in some areas, we are, we are like the shoemaker without shoes, um, but, but we really try to do as much as we can so that internally our own people feel less burdensome by, by those boring and routine tasks. So great results out of the Center of Excellence uh, around automation, internal Center of Excellence. What are the challenges to, to really scale this uh, inside the company? I would call out two specific challenges. One mm -hmm. is prioritization. Mm -hmm. So I think the list of automation our CEO has to deal with are more than what they can genuinely produce. Mm -hmm. So the challenge would be how do we make that happen with the number of people that we have and with their priority list. Yep. That's one. And secondly is, is adoption in the, in the sense of while the automation is there and available, how do we make sure that people are using that versus going back to their old way of, of doing those stuff? And this is a challenge that it's normal because it's changed. And yep. if all of a sudden you are not attached anymore to your Excel, which you trust and know and you grow up with, mm -hmm. but you trust a bot that does the job for you, I think at the very initial stages until you completely trust what that bot is doing, there's a little bit of element of time by which the adoption happens and then you yep. don't see yourself working without somebody helping you doing your work. Yep. So it's just time. And what do you see as main benefits of automating that, 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 that type of work? Is it productivity? Is it quality? Where is where are the main benefits that you realize? So I think there are different benefits for organizations and for people. Mm -hmm. Enterprise-wide, organizational-wide is definitely productivity and efficiency. Mm -hmm. So you get the same type of work quicker and with a high level of quality because you reduce the human errors. Yeah. So from this perspective, if you add on also the implementation time, which we talk in number of weeks or months, mm -hmm. definitely not more than six months to, to maybe nine months if it is more complex, yep. then it's really fast. So our clients that embrace automation as a way of operating, they do see efficiencies faster and within a better time, timeline. Yep. If you think about the employee who takes advantage of automation and is into automating their own work, we call mm -hmm. them citizen developers because yep. they don't have to have any development capabilities whatsoever. There yep. are some courses that we offer to them and they can easily learn to automate their work themselves. Yep. For them, it's really freeing their time to mm -hmm. do more creative work. If a task was done in a number of hours, then that automation can bring in two hours to two minutes. And then for the remaining time, that they, they do whatever they wish with it. Yep. It can be focused on themselves, maybe take an online course, increase their skill, do something at home, God knows. So it's freeing their time mm -hmm. to use it however they see it fit. Okay. Now we are recording this interview here in the Immersion Lab. Can you tell us a little bit about the function and how the Immersion Lab helps UiPath customers and maybe uh, come up with new ideas to implement automation? Sure. So Immersion Lab came up as an idea driven by the fact that every time we would go to a customer, they would be mesmerized for the first time they would see a bot doing their job. Mm -hmm. And it's quite magical. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't use that word not intentional because when you see the, the screens moving and the reports being produced in front of your eyes, taking a data from here and moving in there and producing something of a high quality, yeah. there was some magic attached to it. And, and the customers would be like, what just happened? This yeah. is amazing. So then we came up with the ideas of, of the lab to bring more, more customers here so that we can show it to them on using our own use cases on yep. what the technology can do for them. And then the idea evolved because we realized that if you bring customers that have experienced automation and they have run programs for their enterprises and they saw the benefits and customers that are not yet there, mm -hmm. but they are interested in it, when you put those two together and they share from one another, it's, it's that sense of co-creation that happens in a, in a lab. Okay. So the purpose of it is really to showcase the technology, either 
through our own use cases or through the customer um, use cases so that new customers can see it live, yep. understand it, and then going back home, realize what they can do for, for their own needs. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about you. Chief Culture Officer, how, how would you, what would you say is fundamentally your role in the organization? I uh, fundamentally, together with my team, need to make sure that what Daniel, the founders, and the first people at the company build is um, here to stay. So not an easy job, but I'm not doing it all by myself. Yep. I'm, I'm blessed with having people that want the same thing. Yep. Um, and as I said earlier, culture is everybody's job. So through the different programs and listening tools that we have, we make sure that our culture evolves and is just the one that the company needs to continue to grow. Yep. And so if you look at your agenda yes. on average, where do you spend most of your time? Um, it's really different. Like in the last three months, I consciously went outside of the company, meaning I spend a lot of time with customers, understanding where we are, what we do well with them, what we do well for them, and where we could improve. Mm -hmm. Enlightening experience. Really, I took a lot of insights out of it and realized that we do have some strengths that perhaps we were not aware of, mm -hmm. and we do have some blind spots where we could do better. Yeah. So I really wanted this outside-in perspective because I felt I was too much into it and thinking about the magic and we are awesome and everything is great. But when you go out, there is a little bit of a reality check, which I really needed so much, and, and I'm sure it will inform the decisions we will make in the future. Okay. So that's one person. This reality check is important to me. Um, the other element is really in a lot of calls, one-on-ones, focus groups, different team setups to get the feeling from the people and understand the good, the bad, and the ugly of what we do as a company. Mm -hmm. Um, and then another portion is influencing others, hopefully inspiring them as much as I can to continue to see the meaning of the work in what they do. Okay. Let's talk about management. I mean, managing 4,000 people to do great things is not an easy thing, right? So how would you... Uh, and, and you talked about um, unlimited PTO, so people can decide how many free days they have. I mean, it must be... People in, in, in the States must go crazy about this because they typically only have a couple of weeks. Anyway, back management style. How, how would you describe your own management style? And how would you describe the, 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 the management style that you would like to see dominant within the company? Um, that would be a great question for the people I work with. <laughs> but I'll try and do justice to the way I lead through the feedback I hear from mm -hmm. those that I work with. So I am a person that likes to co-create things mm -hmm. and programs and objectives. I would listen to what the business needs. I will put that on the table. And then there is a togetherness type of discussion that happens for us to inform our own agenda. Yep. So that's one. I really believe in co-creation rather than imposing on people mm -hmm. because co-creation brings the best in what your people want to do. And, and if you feed that element of need and desire, mm -hmm. I'm sure you can adjust goals to fit both the business needs and their own aspirations. Yep. That's one. Secondly, I, I love untapped territories. I love things that were never done before. I love to challenge the status quo. So on our agenda, there is at least one element per year that talks about things that were not done and things that have to happen because they are unique and yep. we have to keep this standard of being special and we need to contribute to that uniqueness of, of who, who we are. Mm -hmm. And then the third element is I'm, I'm not that patient. I have this element of being, you know, not so patient. So I do have hard times in um, dealing with surprises. I, I do manage by no surprises. So I'm very open and transparent and direct with the people mm -hmm. I work with around where we stand. And then if there is an element of surprise that we could see it coming, and us not seeing it, it frustrates yep. me. Um, it's fine to adapt and adjust because things are changing. But when we knew it's coming and we haven't proactively done something about it, it gets me, it gets me a little bit yep. upset. 
there's a bit of a global war for talent going on, of course, for many, many years already. So how easy or how difficult is it for UiPod here and in the rest of the world to attract top talent and to retain top talent? Yeah, this is not a one-size-fits-all type of answer. So we do have challenges in specific countries or for specific roles. Okay. In general, we have a pretty solid uh, brand in terms of the employment brand. And this is really thanks to Bobby and the brand team that have done a phenomenal job. They put UiPath on the right map as soon as we started that Gartner um, study. And after that, there was a sustained effort to make sure we are there. So from brand perspective, in most of the countries, we do attract the right talent now. It wasn't without an effort. Three years ago, I would have answered this question definitely. But now, there is some brand that attracts the right talent. Now, the challenges that we have is to get not necessarily the skilled talent Mm -hmm. and that really high-level expertise and getting the functional expertise there, but really to attract the right talent from um, your human point of view, to Mm -hmm. fit the right culture. And here we have to do a better job explaining to them the intensity of the work, the pressure on the deliverables, and the fact that we hold each other accountable for a high performance. And there are some people that after they join, they realize that while the environment is very welcoming and they feel it like at home and they are surprised by different benefits, the hard work is, is there. Is there and is expected as well. Of yeah, and, yep. and some of them don't make it and, yep. and it's fine. Um, the, the standards are very high and the pressure is very high. Good is not good enough. Yep. And with every year that goes by, the standard is being raised um, all the time. So, okay. Now, managing, attracting people, uh, making them successful, building great teams and so on is one job. Uh, or it's one aspect. Uh, and another aspect is leadership. And leadership is more... Why is it that people want to follow uh, you? So, so how would you describe uh, your leadership style? And, and maybe we can ask the question in the sense of, of what do you think people will say about your leadership style when you're not around? When, when they're having a coffee, they're discussing you and your leadership style, how do you think you're perceived? Um, I think I am perceived as a very transparent and direct person. Mm-hmm. Maybe to an extent that I shouldn't be. I mean, I don't have that poker face. If something is going on, people that know me and work with me closely, they know something is going on. And I'm, and I'm really transparent about things. I always make a differentiation between here are the facts and here is my perspective on it because mm-hmm. my perspective can be completely wrong. But there is that transparency that comes with the way I am and the way I lead. Yeah. I also think that there is a level of empathy that they appreciate. Um, I really believe that we come to work with our whole being. And if something at home happened and is not as you wished it to be, this will show what works. So Mm -hmm. I always start my one-on-ones with, how is everything? Are you okay? Is there anything I can help you with? And people learn to be open with me. So there's this openness element about who we are beyond work because that impacts our life, you know, every single day. I don't think we can separate yourself to work and yourself at home. And and I make the space for that human Mm -hmm. interaction in our our relationship. Now, I'm, I'm convinced that successful leadership has to do how we are wired how we think, our convictions, our personality, and so on. And you shared with us, and, and we, we can be a fan of MBTI or not, but I, think, I still think it's an interesting system. So you shared with us your uh, MBTI profile, which is ASTJ, yeah. also known as the executive, and that's somebody with extroverted, observant, thinking, and judging personality traits. And these are typically people that possess great fortitude, They empathically follow their own sensible judgment, and they often serve as a stabilizing force among others, able to offer solid direction amid adversity. I mean, great description. Let's look at your strengths and and tell me where do you really recognize yourself? So people with an executive uh, personality typically are very dedicated, strong-willed, 
direct and honest, uh, loyal, patient, reliable. They enjoy creating order and they are excellent organizers. How does that fit the bill in, in your uh, case? Very much so. I think 80% of what you said is there. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason for it might be less obvious. Like, for example, the organizer. I'm a little bit chaotic, mm -hmm. but I realize that. And my way of organizing ideas or thoughts or people is to welcoming their order into what mm -hmm. we do. So I have this ability of, of um, empowering others to make decisions and allowing mm -hmm. them to put the order in the environment. So on there, I'm not like 100% sure. Yep. And on the patients, I'm, I'm surprised that show up in there. Maybe it's cultivated over time, or maybe it's a trait that I'm learning with every experience that I have, but I'm not known as being a patient uh, person. Well, let's talk more about the development yes, areas let's do and that. the yes. potential weaknesses yes. are of uh, an ESTJ is that sometimes they're inflexible and stubborn. Yes. <laughs> they can be uncomfortable with unconventional uh, situations. Mm. They can be judgmental. Mm. They can be too focused on social status. Sometimes they have difficulty to relax and they uh, can have difficulty expressing emotions. So yeah. where do you recognize yourself in these and how, how, how are you working on, uh, on these points? Yeah, difficult to relax would be something that both my husband and my two daughters would testify <laughs> on. Um, they wish they would have a plug to unplug me from Slack and from emails and from Zoom. Um, yeah, it's difficult to relax, but I have an excuse for it. I mean, it's difficult to relax because I love what I do and I mm -hmm. love what we do and I love where we are. And it's like, it's not work and life. It's just what we do. And, and we do this 24 seven and, and that's fine. Um, I do relax though when, when we go on holiday and when we are away, when, yeah. when the laptop or the phone is not with me, I, I manage to relax completely. And, and I'm grateful for the team that is left behind because they, they do the work. Um, without me. Mm -hmm. um, on the status, I don't think so. I, mm -hmm. I've, I've, I very rarely introduce myself with, with a job title. Yeah. I don't talk about this stuff. I'm, I, I, just, I just think that I was very fortunate to yeah. be where I am and I don't take it for granted. Very, very grateful for who I am becoming and, and what do I do and yep. how I do it. And it's just because of the fortunate events of me being in the right place in the right time. It's less about me, it's more about the context I was put in. Yep. I was a bit surprised of your um, profile here because you're stronger on the rational side than on the emotional side, given your profile. But the job you do is very much with people and around relationships and emotions and so on. So has that also been a development area for you? It has been a development area and it started with my um, psychology degree. Mm -hmm. This is when I realized that um, there is something amazing happening with human behavior. Mm -hmm. And that if there is a potential in there, and with most of the people, 99.9% .9 of them, there is. If you focus in nurturing that and motivating that, people will become a better version of themselves. So yeah. learning that very early on, it instructed my life choices and the jobs that I had. And, and that's where I see myself doing until the end. Okay. Do you have a personal mantra? I do. And that is? I, I do two actually. One is about um, under promise and over deliver. Mm -hmm. And that came because people make expectations on you, whether you like it or not. And you never have a second chance to make a first impression. Mm -hmm. So better start with some space from where you can grow than to disappoint that relationship in the first go. So that's one. And the second one that I keep on repeating to my daughters is believe you can and you are halfway there believe you can and you have and you are there. halfway there okay. just believe you can and you are halfway there you have two daughters i do they're 16 and 11 that's right let's talk about the the values that you're passing on to them mm. what are the core values that you yourself live by and that you're passing on to your family yeah being grateful is one of them like for example we just came back from uh, 
One of the amazing programs that our UiPath Foundation does, we do take care of children from less privileged areas and we help them find a better path for mm -hmm. them and their families. And just two weeks ago, we've been volunteering for a week uh, with this 105 people that are um, from all over Romania, areas that is like you barely believe that is possible and they have amazing potential. They just need the right context for them to shine. And I was there with my oldest daughter, mm -hmm. with Becca, who is 16. And first of all, she wanted to be there very much. We were there last year volunteering and she was looking forward to come this year because she sees the, the world in a different perspective and mm -hmm. she learns a lot. And the, the, one of the values that we have is around being grateful for what we have and not taking it for granted. And while you do that, if you can help the person near you who is in need, please do that without expecting something in return. Yep. So gratefulness and being generous is something that we, we live by and we, we try to do our best in our family, in our community, in whatever you know, setup we end up being. So, Andrea, my secretly my favorite question is... <laughs> okay. <laughs> or not secretly. My favorite question in these okay. interviews is, what is your most brilliant failure? We all... Uh, you're very successful, but we all make our mistakes. And it's from our mistakes and from our failures that we learn. So, looking back at your uh, career, which was your most brilliant failure and what did you learn from it? Only one. Only one, please. <laughs> Uh, the most of them all. Um, I'll pick the one that happened when I was 18 and mm -hmm. only because it was very formative. And I think that one in particular influenced the, the way I, I become as a person. Mm -hmm. So it happened when you need to go from high school to university. And there is an exam in there. Mm -hmm. And I failed that exam. So I wanted to go to Secret Service, whatever, the institution in Romania dealing with um, Secret Service, and I failed. Now, thank God I failed, because I would have been miserable in a job like that. You wanted However, to become a spy, or what is a Secret yeah, Service? It, it was more of my mother's dreams. I don't oh, yeah. know how it's happening in Belgium, but in Romania back then, your parents would influence yeah. your trajectory yep. and they would kind of choose for you what yep. to do. And for my mother, bless her, who is absolutely amazing and, and she has done a fantastic work raising me as, as a single mother. But in her mind, me wearing the suit and having the house bought by the government and having a secure job yeah. that would keep me there for 30 years was like the dream job. But thank God I failed. Um, I didn't pass. I passed the psychological test, the physical test. I did not pass math. Um, so I failed. Now, I had to stay one year at home. And one year at home, my mother said, listen, you fail. There's a consequence to a behavior. So you are going to go out and earn your living. So what I did was to spend um, every single day for about a month in um, what we have, the marketplace. Mm -hmm. But the marketplace, imagine open air with small tables yep. and different people selling vegetables, potatoes, whatever. I was selling cherish, cherish, cherries, that's cherries, that's right. And um, my hands were always dirty. Mm -hmm. And I would be there from 7 o'clock in the morning until 4 afternoon. And the hardship was the worst when I would have teachers from my high school or mothers, fathers, parents or relatives from my colleagues from high school coming in front of the table and me serving them. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, why on earth didn't I spend more time learning and getting into university? So that experience showed me not only what hard work really means mm -hmm. and being able to appreciate jobs that you otherwise you would not consider and, and as bringing value, yep. but also really motivated me to get out of that environment and really 
do my very best to to learn and grow and, and become a better version of myself. Yeah. So that was a big failure that I will never forget, and I learned a lot through that that You're, experience. That was the hard school. <laughs> that was the yeah. There is a street school and there is an academic yeah. school. That was the street school, and it was very informative. So, so, so you have or you had a great mother. Oh yes, I do. And so you learned a lot from her, of course. Who are the other important people in your life that you learned from? Do you have important mentors, people that you look up to? Um, are there a couple that you could mention, maybe? Yes, I do, and and they will. Um, their heart will beat faster if they would listen to this. So. I had a couple of them. Since early on, I had a job as soon as I came to Bucharest from Braila, where I was born, at 19. Um, and I started to work already. So one of them was Serjan Mioshkovic, um, Serbian by, by birth, but traveled around the world. And Serjan was the head of Avon Romania back then. But he had a dream. He was like... Let's go big. Let's just go with Avon and the opportunity we have to empower women to countries nearby. Mm -hmm. So he formed a team representing different departments, HR and finance and sales and logistics and transportation. And we would go in this team of six people around countries in Romania, mm -hmm. Moldova, Bosnia, uh, Macedonia and then Serbia and then we would open these countries in a record period of time. So it was a two years um, type of, uh, of investment in which this, this team of people from Romania would go and hire the people, set the business there, rent offices, train the people and then we would go to the next country and, and the one that we just opened would um, grow and, and evolve. So mm -hmm. for me, Serjan was that inspiration of Really, if you put your mind to it, it will happen mm -hmm. with hard work, making smart decisions, and really committing to what you think it can be done realistically with a little bit of an ambitious plan. So Serjan was and is still somebody I, I really look up to. Mm -hmm. And then I, had, I really had really good managers. For mm -hmm. whatever reason, I was blessed with having people that believed I could contribute and they've challenged me. Like I've changed the jobs every two years or so. The phone would call and somebody would say, come help me with that. I think you would be best. And almost all the time, the first interaction was, why me? I don't think I'm ready. I, I can't, I, I don't have that experience and so on and so forth. But I think they, they've seen something in me and because of that, I, I did what, what I what I do. And I think mm -hmm. that's the legacy they left with me because now I see a lot in people yep. and then themselves don't see it necessarily. So, yeah, I was blessed with yep. working with people and for people that were in inspiration. Now, Andre, you're clearly very, very driven, hardworking. It's difficult for you to unplug. Yes. Uh, and when you do, you spend time with, uh, with your family. But besides your family and besides your work, do you have other passions in your life, things that really fascinate you? I do puzzles. Puzzles? Yes, complicated puzzles, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 pieces. And when I am into that, there are a couple of days in a row where I do only that. Thankfully, I'm attracting uh, family members with me, and I ended up starting it by myself, but we finish it together as a family, which is great. I'm fascinated by different cultures. Um, I remember back to this story of um, Southeastern Europe. I remember one day I was in uh, Sarajevo in Bosnia, and uh, it was 6 o'clock and the bells from the church started to sing. And it was such a spiritual moment that I realized that the world is so generous with the differences we bring from the way we were raised and where we were born mm -hmm. that that's something I want to keep it and be curious about it and learn from. Mm -hmm. And then when I travel to Japan, I immerse myself into who they are and what they do. And I use what the God gave us, which is two ears and one mouth. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm listening and learning and speaking less. Yeah. Same in India. I loved being there and I'm so looking forward to go back and, and see, see our people there. So traveling around and learning the, the uniqueness of their 
cultures and, and what they bring to the world fascinates me, really yep. fascinates me. What would you describe as the, the best thing that has ever happened to you in your life? Is having my husband saying yes to me. That's um, a classic one. <laughs> I don't know how classic. Let me surprise you. So okay. I know my husband since we were seven years old. Okay. How about that? <laughs> And we were together to the same school at high school. Um, we separated for the middle school and then we came back together for, for high school. Um, and then I chased him a little bit. Um, he wasn't ready to commit, but then he finally committed. And next year we are 20 years happily married. And I honestly believe I could not do or be who I am without his unconditional support. Mm -hmm. I honestly, I... When, when you put your own career on hold and you say to your partner, you go and change the world or do whatever you want because I'll take care of the family, and he actually does that, then, yeah. That's that, super important. That's definitely the best thing that could ever happen to me. I, I don't see how would I be without yep. him and the support I, I had. Did you have any serious setbacks? Um bad things that happened to you? Is there maybe something that you could share, one of the worst things that ever happened to you and what you learned from it? The thing is, I was super fortunate, Hadrick. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, I honestly, I feel so fortunate and grateful and uh, like luck is what comes into mind. I didn't. I'm, I'm healthy, thank mm -hmm. God. I hope we'll stay the same. Um, I have a family that I love to the moon and back, and they love me back. Yep. I always had the support to do and conquer different obstacles, challenges, but none that are worthy of mention. So I'm, I'm really fortunate and blessed to, to have the life I have. Okay. What is it that you fear most in your life? I fear loneliness. Oh, my God. So if it happens to be home alone and my daughters will be somewhere and my husband is like I don't know what to do with myself when okay. I'm alone I absolutely cannot do uh, manage it by myself and um, that's sickness. something you will have to learn then I don't know <laughs> because one day your daughters you will have the empty nest syndrome will be will be hitting your heart then. I'm not ready for that moment I have to tell you however I'll be with my husband so yeah. we will find a way to um, spend some quality time together um, and sickness. I, 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 I don't know how I would cope with sickness for, for my children and for myself and, you know, for my mother. And it's just, it's like, I feel uh, with my hands tied because mm. it's only for upstairs that can help and influence. But yep. I just, I don't know how will I manage with, with, with sickness. It's... And there we're coming to the last question of this interview, and that is... Uh, people that are watching these interviews, some of them are really young, ambitious professionals that want to uh, follow in, uh, in the footsteps of the people that we, uh, that we interview. So what did you learn that you could advise young professionals to follow in your footsteps and, and become a top executive in, in a large international company, in the culture, HR space? What is the advice to, um, to young professionals that you can give? Um, if I'm in the position to give advice, um, now that you ask me, I could think of just the same mantras that I have. They work for me. Um, Over-promise and under-deliver as a young professional is important, especially because you bring in passion, you might bring in creativity, you might bring in the way you think things could be done but not having experience per se, you might disappoint others and then you never have a second chance to make a first impression. So, oh, you know, under-promise and over-deliver is something that could help those youngsters that are now coming into the workplace environment. And then, like I tell my daughters, um, believe you can and you are halfway there. Um, even if you don't know, Test it out, try it out, learn from it, be curious to experiment. And then even the experiment, if it fails, it's fine because there is lesson in it and then you could do better next time on, next yep. time around. So rather say yes to things coming in your way versus not 
tackling them because of I don't know what, what reason. So believe you can and you are halfway there in everything you want to tackle and universe will guide you to do what you need to do and are meant to do. And on that note, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your wisdom, your experiences and so on. It was really a pleasure. It was a pleasure for me. Thank you, Hedrick. Thank you, Andrea.